Well, I want to talk about just a few things that are, you know, this time of year is just a rock and roll time for churches as people are coming back for school and time to uh, get busy and do some stuff. So again, pull out your, your family news bulletin and look through there. There's so many cool things happening. Um, I want to highlight just a couple of them, especially for men. The, the fall kickoff for our men's monthly breakfast is this coming Saturday. From here on out, it'll be the first Saturday of each month, but because of Labor Day, we're doing it this coming Saturday right out here in the, in the foyer, 7.30 to 9, and uh, we'll have good food and some hang time with the other guys and then a short lesson. And then put it on your calendar right now, and especially wives, put it on your calendar because that's the one that's important. Uh, for, for the men of Grace Chapel, men's retreat, um, October 19th into Saturday, the Sunday, uh, the 20th, 19th and 20th. Um, more, more details to come. But um, two weeks from tonight is our annual worship night. And that's uh, just fun, just fun time. Music, great time together, um, some prayer time together. We're also doing some baptisms. And so if you are wanting to be baptized, that would be our next opportunity to do that. It'll be two weeks from tonight. And uh, so put that on your calendar also. I uh, brought uh, Eric up here because he has uh, some really cool thing that's starting here pretty soon. Some of you guys have kind of come to know me as the guy who's uh, stalking you in the foyer, passing out these things. Recently been likened to a uh, perfume peddler in the mall, just passing things out like crazy. Anyway, want to talk to you a little bit about what that is. Uh, First, I want to share something with you, though, in uh, C.J. Mahaney's The Cross-Centered Life book. A little story. On Monday, Alice brought, or no, bought a parrot. It didn't talk, so the next day she returned to the pet store. He needs a ladder, that she was told. She bought a ladder, but another day passed, and the parrot still didn't say a word. How about a swing, the clerk suggested. So Alice bought a swing, and then the next day, a mirror. The next day, a miniature plastic tree. The next day, a shiny parrot toy. On Sunday morning, Alice was standing outside the pet store. and tears in her eyes, her parrot was dead. Did it ever say a word, the store owner asked. Alice said yes, through her sobs. Right before he died, he looked at me and asked, do they sell any food at the pet store? Anyway, he goes on to talk about the many good causes and activities that occupy a Christian's time and attention. But uh, which could actually distract us from some of the more central things that we need, such as the gospel, which is his point in there. But what I'm bringing to you today is community. Every one of us have been designed as members of the body of Christ to need one another and to draw encouragement and strength through the body of the Christ or for the body of Christ. Um, Wednesday night, what we're doing is we're going to unpack the book of Galatians uh, We'll start with some worship, we'll have some prayer, and um, I'll teach a message on Galatians, and then we'll break out into different small groups. That'll be starting from 6.30 to 8 o'clock. We're actually going to meet at the uh, Youth Warehouse Worship Center. It's a little door right over there. There's an awning underneath it, uh, or over top of it, actually. But uh, we'll have child care. So we really push in this church life groups because that is God's design for us to really grow and flourish in our faith. This isn't just, okay, receive the salvation invitation and package, but no, we want to move people forward into growth in Christ likeness in their journey. And that happens in the context of community. So I am challenging and inviting you to be a part of that Wednesday, 630 over there. Thanks. Cool. Thanks. You can take that with you. All right. Well, uh, 
Deb and, and Jeff and Josh are on a much needed holiday and he's probably taking a nap right now. I know he was really, really just ready for a few days away. And so um, while the cat's away, the mice shall play, right? So we're going to have a little bit of fun this morning. And I asked uh, Dave Mead, our new pastor of student ministries. Uh, well, I, I actually told him that he's going to be a volunteer this morning. And so come on up, Dave, or actually go, um, David. He told me that was like one of the second things he said. I'm a David, not a Dave. So he's a David. So go with Lisa. She's going to take you outside for just a minute or two. Guys, ready? Yeah. <laughs> I gave him this towel, and the first time Blake didn't use the towel, and then he's like, "Okay, give me the towel." any second now they'll be walking in the door any second now (laughs) there they are there he is come on David come on up yeah just come on up here I'm going to ask you, this is going to hurt really bad, just telling you, but I'm going to ask you to do kind of an experiment, okay? So I'm going to ask you to hang on this bar with your head, top of your head touching the bottom of the bar. So you're going to hold your head up against the bottom of the bar and just hang there as, as long as you can. I'm going to time you, okay? Okay. So I'm going to start, I'm going to start the time. So you can either, either way. I'm going to start the time as soon as your head touches and then stop it when you, when you break contact. And then maybe spread them out just a little bit. There you go. Okay. When you're ready. When, yep. I don't want to do this. Six point six three seconds. Dude, that was weak. <laughs> I won't tell you how long Eric hung there this morning in the first search. Okay, so um, give you a few seconds. I'm going to ask you to do it again. Okay. Sorry, but uh, give you a few seconds to shake your arms out, kind of recover a little bit. Um, this time, if you can beat your time, I'm going to time it again. Um, if, big if here, but if you can beat your time, bottle of Gatorade, power bar, and I know because they just moved, they probably don't have any food in the house. There's a, a Subway gift card. Um, So I'll put them right there so you can see them and be motivated, all right? So if you can beat your time of six and a half seconds, let me reset. Okay. Can we, can he do it? You think he can do it? Okay. When you're ready. Okay. When you're ready. Go for it. And I'll start whenever your head hits. Come on. Okay. Time. Come on. Start. Come on. You can do it. Hang in there. Hang in there as long as you can, as long as you can. Come on, come on, come on. He's getting, oh, 12 seconds. He doubled his tie. Good job, you're done. Go sit down. Take your prizes. I knew we wouldn't be sorry hiring him. All right. Well, uh, I want you to watch something first. 
I'm going to go for a mountain bike ride, and uh, I just thought maybe you could tag tag along. You know, by the way, uh, I wish I would have been there to watch you guys do that pull-up routine thing you just did, that experiment. I've done that a hundred times over the years, and uh, I would bet my boots that it turned out just the way I thought it would for you guys. And so hold that thought for now, and uh, let's just get going. The year 1992 was a big year in the life of me and, and my wife, Kim. And it really was a huge year because of two important things that happened during that year. The first thing was that Kim and I were beginning to get involved with a ministry called Athletes in Action. Athletes in Action is the athletic branch of Campus Crusade for Christ. And we were beginning to get excited about our new ministry with AIA. Well, the second thing that uh, was really big that year was that I happened to be training for my first Ironman triathlon. And uh, so I was getting all excited about that event. At the same time, I was getting all excited about our new ministry with Athletes in Action. And being uh, to do ministry in the, within the sport that I love was just so, so cool. And so I got this idea to call the race director of Ironman Canada and asked him if I could have some booth space at the expo. And he said I could. He donated some booth space. So we went up to that race and uh, we were handing out Bibles, telling people about Christ, sharing the gospel. All of that was just super exciting. And then the race went really well too. I had a better than expected swim. My bike was always strong, so I had a good bike and the run just went really well. And I finished in 11 hours and 36 minutes my very first Ironman, and I was so pumped. Well, fast forward a few months, I thought to myself, man, I need to go back to that race and do that again, but this time I can train harder, I can train smarter, and uh, keep healthy, and I'm gonna blister my time. You know, 11.36, good for a first one, but not good enough. And I had dreams of doing a 10-hour Ironman. So we were getting prepared, my body was feeling good again, and leading up to the race, people started asking me, so are you going to do the booth thing again? And I thought to myself, well, you know, maybe, but that, that was kind of distracting. And this time I really want to go and do this race for myself. I want to, I want to just really hammer that course. And, and that whole booth thing was, it was all right, but it, was, it just took a lot of time. So this year I went up and, and didn't pursue that at all. Well, the race came. Had a good swim again about the same time. My bike was about the same. And I was really, really feeling good on the run until about mile 13, my knee just started to ache. And it got worse and worse to the point where I had to walk the whole last half marathon, the last 13 miles. And uh, that ticked me off big time. I don't know if you've been to a race, but the, the crowds that line the race are cheering. They're all saying, hey, you're doing good. You're looking good. You're going to finish. And, and I could just remember just wanting to punch every single one of them in the face. I wasn't looking good. I wasn't doing well. The tears and the crying, and I was so embarrassed. And I can remember real vividly thinking, maybe they'll just think it's sweat. And of course, it, it wasn't. I was so ashamed. You know, that video really doesn't do justice to the level of the emotions that were going on in my head that second time. You know, and, and since then, there were many Iron Mans to come. But uh, 
yeah, that first one, I, my motivation, my my enthusiasm for going up there had all to do with the booth and, you know, besides the mullet. You like the mullet? That was good. So besides that, we had a great time and, and handing out Bibles and, and it was just awesome. And uh, the race went really well, as well as could be expected. And that second time, I was like, well, no, that's like, you know, it was a distraction. And I want this to be about me. And uh, and then the last part of that, to see all those hundreds of people that I had already passed were now passing me. And the anger, the embarrassment, the shame. And I could just imagine in my head the people passing me going, oh, what? You know, what kind of a chump is that? He probably went out too fast. Now he's walking, you know, good for him. And, and the people along the side going, what's he even doing belonging here? And, and of course, none of those people were thinking any of those things. It was all in my head and it was all wrapped up in that I was shamed and I was I was crying. It was just stupid. And uh, but it's so vivid. Um, let me pray for us. Jesus, uh, I can feel you right beside me. Shoulder to shoulder, and I invite you into this place, Jesus. I invite you to enter into my thoughts. I invite you to enter into my words. And when I open my mouth, Jesus, I just pray that your words would come out. And um, whether or not they're eloquent on my part, I pray that they would have impact when they leave my mouth. Jesus, I give you permission to enter my thoughts and my motivation. And on behalf of the people in this room, I give you permission to search the deepest parts of us. I invite you to to be with us, Jesus. And I know you will because you promised you would. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. I want to talk about three things this morning. I want to talk about our mainly our identity in Christ. But there's going to be a before and an after. First, I want to talk about before Christ is in our life, before you and me. And by the way... Because of just sheer numbers in this room, I know that there are probably people here who are still in a before state as far as inviting Christ into your heart. Just a little bit of a warning. This might not be pleasant for you. I hope it's not. Sorry about your luck. But there's a good part, too. What is my identity? What when when God looks down at me through heaven to Kevin Schweiger If I have not accepted Christ into my heart yet, what does he see? What's my identity? What's his perception of me? And then we're going to talk about the after story. After Christ is in our hearts, yours, mine, what does he see? What's my identity? And then I want to wrap up with the question, so what? Who cares? What does it mean? All right. The Bible is so clear about this. Um, Before. What does, Christ, what does Jesus, what does God see in me before Christ is in my heart? And again, it's not a very pretty story. It goes back actually to Adam and Eve, right? God created Adam and Eve in his image for a purpose, on purpose. He poured out his, all of his emotional, spiritual, intellectual humor, personality, poured all of that into us and said, I am creating you in my image. Now, God is love. Bible says God equals God is love. And so God loves us and wants so badly for us to love him back. Now, he very easily could have created a whole universe of robots who did exactly what he wanted them to do. And but that's not love. You know, when you can't force somebody to love you, but love is only meaningful if they choose to love you. Right. So in his love, he gave us the ability to choose. 
and we chose against him through Adam and Eve. And, and of course, Eve chose the fruit. Eve chose the temptation. Eve chose to go against God and, and his wishes for her, his instructions for her. And by the way, this is, a, you know, we can save this for another time. But there was a time in which, you know, the Bible says that Adam was with her, literally with beside her, sitting on a stump beside her. There was a time in history when Eve had fallen, but Adam had not. Right. I don't know how long if I don't know if that was two minutes or ten minutes or how long. But Eve was fallen. Adam was not. She offered it to him. And what did he do? He said, I choose Eve over God. And by the way, ever since then, men and women alike, we struggle with lust. We struggle with pornography. We struggle with illicit affairs. We struggle with all of those things because there was a time in which we as men said, I choose Eve instead of God. Well, anyway, since then, we have been born or because of that, we have been born. You and I, every single one of us have been born into a sinful state, a sinful nature. It's in our nature to go against God. And we go against God daily, every day. We choose things that are not up to his perfection. And we suffer from that. Well, the Bible tells a very clear story through its word of what our identity is then because of that story. Currently, what's our identity? What does God see when he looks down before I have rectified that by choosing to accept Christ into my heart? Colossians 1, 21 says you were alienated and enemies in your mind toward God. Ephesians 2 says you were foreigners and you were aliens to God. Ephesians chapter two, again, says you were dead in your trespasses and your sins. And I think for me, one of the most impactful verses in the Bible, so telling comes from Isaiah chapter 64. And it says that even the good things that you do were like filthy rags. That's powerful stuff. You know, the writer of Isaiah, however many hundreds and hundreds of years ago who wrote that, was talking about our identity, what, what God sees, what are we like before, he, before Christ is in our life. And he said, even the good things that you do are like filthy rags. Now, remember, this is hundreds of years ago. This is before Rumpke trucks came and picked up garbage and took it to the landfill. People in those villages, in those areas, what are, they, what are you supposed to do with all of your trash, with all of your rags, with all of your stinky stuff? And whether it was rags that, was, that were wrapping wounds, disease-ridden, pussy wounds, maybe rags that were used in a leper colony, maybe it was menstrual rags, whatever it was, all of that had to be taken out away from town and piled up so it would not infect the people of the town. And so every village had somewhere out there, away from a water source, away from stuff, this mount, mountain of filthy, stinking, maggot-filled nasty, pussy rags. And then the Bible comes along and says, before Christ is in your life, even the good things that you do are like maggot-filled, pussy rags. How does that make you feel? (laughs) That's gross. It's nasty. I hate that. I hate feeling like that. You know, I've, I've heard over the years many stories of athletes, famous people, musicians, Hollywood people, just business people, you and I, who do really awesome things. 
couple years ago, what, what was it? Oprah spent millions of dollars building schools over in Africa. There's been athletes who donate millions of dollars to cancer research. And, uh, you know, I don't know the, the spiritual condition of their hearts. But the Bible says that if, if that if that person is not in Christ, even that million dollar gift that is helping starving children in Kenya or, or Rwanda is like a filthy, stinking, maggot filled rag. How does that make you feel? You know, if I could see body language out there, I could probably see you restricting and getting self-conscious or getting defensive and saying, hey, wait a second. That's bogus. That's not, that can't be true. I'm, I'm not a bad guy. I'm not such a bad guy. I'm not so bad, such a bad girl. You know, I don't cheat on my wife. I don't cheat on my taxes. I, don't, I haven't done this. I haven't done that. I'm not such a bad guy. Well, let me ask you a question here. What if I had the technology... This really cool new thing that could, that could be done. What if I had the technology to take every thought, every word picture, every image, every motivation, every plan that has come into your head in the last, let's say, year. And then uh, we're going to through the we're going to project it up on that screen. OK, who are you going to invite to the showing of that movie? Nobody. Right. I don't want my wife seeing that. I don't want my kids seeing that. I don't want my pastor saying I don't want you seeing that. I don't want anybody seeing that. I am not such a good guy. When I compare myself to my neighbor, to my coworker, to my other students, yeah, I might be a good guy. But when I compare myself to the perfection of the almighty creator, God, I am not even close to a good guy. I've sinned already today. There's a person who's, who uh, stopped at the stoplight out there on Kings Mills Road and didn't go in the green light. And I was like, come on! Sin. I fall short every day, all day long of God's perfection. You know, there's a guy, Michael Powell, owns the long jump record, world record, 29, 29 feet, 11 and a half inches. I can't even jump a third of that. But if Michael Powell and I line up at the edge of the Grand Canyon and jump, try to get to the other side, which one of us has fallen in? Yeah, both of us, we're not even coming close to the other edge of the Grand Canyon. It's a mile away. I am such a bad guy when I'm comparing myself to Christ and his perfection. Now, that's the bad part of the story. Fortunately, there's a good part of the story. There's an after side of the story. It comes the instant, the moment I accept Christ into my heart, things are completely changed. And I want to talk about three big churchy words this morning. These words that we hear in church all the time, and sometimes we don't even know what they mean. Or it, you know, we, it goes in one year and out the other. But we're going to talk about those and what they mean in this context. The first word is redeemed. What does it mean to be redeemed? The moment I accept Christ, the Bible says I'm redeemed. Well, what's that mean? How do we use the word redeemed in our normal everyday kind of language when we go to the grocery store? Sometimes I go to the Kroger and I redeem a coupon, right? So what does that mean? I buy a box of Cheerios on the box, back of the box is a little square thing perforated around there. And it says save 50 cents on your next box of Cheerios. So I cut that out. I take it back to Kroger and the General Mills company is basically buying back that piece of paper and I get 50 cents off my next box of Cheerios. They are purchasing back that piece of paper. 
It's exactly what Christ did for us on the cross. When we are redeemed, that means he purchased us back. We did belong to someone else. He purchased me back. And the price that he paid, 50 cents? No. Death on the cross. The sacrifice of his only son was the purchase price. And boy, what a cost that was. But I'm redeemed now. The moment I accept Christ in my life, I'm redeemed. The second word is reconciled. What does that mean? How do we use that word? Now, it could be that in the context of a marriage, you have two people who uh, have kind of fallen apart. They maybe go to a counselor, maybe to a pastor, maybe through their own work, using a book or something. They come back together. They are reconciled. Two people that used to be part, used to be clashing, used to not make sense, are now brought back together where they should be. They're reconciled. Some of you financial people out there may be using that word sometimes when you say, I'm I'm reconciling the books or I'm reconciling the checkbook. You take two columns of numbers that don't add up, don't make any sense, receipts are lost or whatever, and you reconcile them. You put them back where they belong so they line up and they mesh. It's exactly what Christ did for us. I accept him into my heart. I used to be this jumbled, unfulfilled, nonsense mess, and Christ reconciles me back to where I belong in the first place. Reconciled. The third big churchy word, justified. What does that mean? Somebody encouraged me a while back to think of that as just as if I had never sinned or just as if I had always done right. That video that I did not want to invite my dog to see that video is now blank, as clean, as white as snow. It's just as if that video never existed. The problem is that we struggle with those things because I remember in my head, oh, no, don't watch that. Don't watch that. I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I pictured that in my head. And and that gets locked in our head. And we don't believe we struggle with the difference there. We struggle with justify. We struggle with redeem. We struggle with reconcile because we don't feel like it or don't we don't believe it. And we struggle with uh, the pressure to perform And to gain the recognition and applause of other people, right? And we struggle because we want to be loved and accepted by other people. And we just can't get those two things separated. And we really struggle with that. Well, the problem when it comes, if I, if, if I, my motivation, my intensity, my energy level is all based on whether or not I get applause and recognition and love and acceptance by another person. The problem with that is it does, it, it goes like this. Right. And I can never, never, I can never, ever rely on that. That was my Iron Man story. Right. I was attributing godlike attributes to the people standing along the side of the road. My motivation, my intensity level, my zest for life, my love of of life and the things that I was doing it's supposed to be related to what God did for me, but instead I am giving the power. I'm giving that power to people standing alongside a roadside that I've never met before. And all of a sudden I'm crying, acting like a fool because I'm ashamed because that person over there thinks I'm slow or thinks I'm fast. We struggle with that every single day. Where did David go? Is he still in here? Yeah, he's back there. Let's talk to David for a moment. 
busted. I told him to hang as, as long as he could up here the first time. Six seconds. Oh, yeah, that was great. No, 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 no. And then I asked him to do it again. If you know, either he did not do it, 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 you know, either he was dishonest and said, OK, I, I'm not going to try my hardest. Or he was busted. I spent a dollar fifty on a thing of Gatorade, ninety nine cents on a power bar. It was even a crushed power bar. It was at the bottom of the box. And I splurged and spent ten bucks on a gift certificate to Subway. And I told you guys, cheer for him, help him, go, go, clap, 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 yay, David, yay, David. And all of a sudden, he doubled his time. I mean, how lame is that, David? You know, I said, I mean, his intensity level, his effort, his fervor should have been. I said, do it as long as you can. Well, either you didn't do it as long as you can, you lied to us all, or you were motivated by some trinkety prize that you could see. Woohoo, I win the trinkety prize. People clap for me. Yay, yay. Which one was it? <laughs> Both. So uh, we're busted all the time. Think back to uh, those of you who are students, maybe track practice, basketball practice. You older folks, you can remember the, the, the scenario. The coach says, I'm, uh, we're going to do uh, 10 suicide sprints here, here on the basketball court. Okay, I'm going to time you. You got to increase your time every time or decrease your time every time. I want you guys to just bust it every single time. And so you're, uh, you're going, you're going, you're going. And, uh, and then the, you know, maybe about the third or the fourth one, he turns his back because the assistant coach comes up. And they're talking about something. They're looking at a clipboard. What's your next sprint like? Down the court. Coach is not watching. You just gave God-like attributes to another person. You said, God, I'm giving what you give me. I'm giving it to my coach. When he's watching, I'll try. When he's not watching, all bets are off. Don't care. I remember a time, you know, if you'll, those of you have heard me speak uh, at least a couple of times and hopefully many times in the future, every single one of my sermons or lessons includes a Kevin, you're a moron story. Well, uh, here it goes. I remember a time that I was busted big time. Okay, I'm supposed to be out training for a, a big race coming up. All right. So I'm supposed to be working hard. I'm supposed to be concentrating. It's it's coming up pretty soon. And so I'm out on my bike and I'm and but instead of really, really working hard, I'm lollygagging around, looking at the neighbor's house, looking at those sheep over there, you know, just kind of wandering around. Well, I could hear in the background a car approach. Now, a lot of times you'll hear a car coming up and you'll you'll kind of wait for a few seconds. And then when the, the traffic clears, they move on around when it's safe and they go. Well, this time it just was hanging back there. It was hanging and hanging and hanging and one minute, two minutes, three minutes. I'm going, what's up with that? What's going on back there behind me? And I, I was really curious. And so I, uh, I turned my head, looked over my shoulder and behind me was a red convertible. I'm not lying here. True story. Red convertible with two gorgeous blondes driving that car. Okay, so what was my reaction? <laughs> yeah, come on, come on, uh, uh, sweat going good. Oh, my quads are not none like Arnold's. <laughs> and I was going, going, going. What a fool! I mean, it's embarrassing. It's stupid. I wouldn't tell Kim that story for months and months and months because it was embarrassing. I mean, by the way, I was asked after the first service, was Kim one of those? No, she wasn't. It was some couple of girls in a car. What an idiot. I gave those girls in that car 
God-like attributes. I said, God, you're supposed to be my motivation here. I'm giving it to them. Didn't even know them. We're busted with that every day. I want to give you two formulas. The first formula is the world's formula. And these are formulas for our self-worth. Okay, the world says you are worth something if... You are worth something if you are tall, dark, and handsome. You are worth something if you come in first place. You are worth something if you get the promotion. You are worth something if your marriage is happy. You are worth something if you have two gorgeous kids and a dog and you play soccer. I mean, it goes on and on and on, right? You are worth something if. I was uh, shown this painfully obvious one time. This goes as another triathlon story. You're getting them all today. Um, Back... 15 years ago, before I got old and fat, I could uh, go to any race in, in the tri-state region and in a few states away and expect to come in in the top three, four, five or so. And so my face was out there and uh, I had a race director buddy that uh, had a series of races here in Ohio. His name was Shannon and Shannon was a good Christian guy. He came to me and he said, I'm so busy during race weekends. I can't really concentrate and uh, it's just all blur for me, but I would love to bring a Christian influence to our races. And so could you be like a chaplain kind of guy and uh, we'll do the pre-race meeting, gather everybody up, do the the uh, national anthem and all that. And then I'll invite you up. You give like a two little two minute thought for the day thing and then pray. And I said, hey, cool, that'd be awesome. I'll do that. So that whole season we did that and um, it was really, really great. So early first or second race of the next season, the next year, I got hurt, knee or an ankle or something, and I skipped that whole season. So I came back the next season, and uh, he said, hey, you're online to do all that again? I said, yeah, that'd be cool. But a whole new group of people around. So the first race, uh, we get up there, national anthem. Hey, Kevin's going to say a few words. I, I get up there, and about two-thirds of the audience turns around and walks away. It didn't, I mean, it didn't really bother me. I didn't really care. But painfully obvious, you are worth listening to if you come in in the top, if you are a familiar face, if you're fast, if you're strong, if not, don't care. That's the world's formula for self-worth. And your teachers, your co-workers, your bosses, your wife, your husband, your kids tell you that. They don't even have to have to use a word, but they tell you that every day, right? You're worth something. You're worth being my friend. You're worth being my co-worker if, and they put all these conditions on that. That's the world's formula for self-worth. God's formula for self-worth says this. You are worth something because I said so. That's why. And here's what he said. You are redeemed. You're reconciled. You're justified. And a whole bunch more. You are a child of mine. You are loved. You are forgiven. You have power over sin. You are my friend. You have my image. The moment Christ comes into my heart... He says, Kevin, you are my child. And all of those things are true. You may not feel like it. You may be having a bad day. You may be coming in last place. You may be short, fat, and ugly instead of tall, dark, and handsome. Irrelevant. You are worth something because I say so. That's why. And I call those positional truths. 
And that just means that it is true whether you feel like it or not. Now, we answered the before, we answered the after, so what? What's it mean? Well, here's what it means. And it took me years to understand. And I hope that this is just like a little snippet to get you to thinking. The big deal is that if I truly understand where I was before, if I really, really get it down deep in my heart, filthy rags, alien, foreigner, stranger, and I truly, really grasp, now that I've accepted Christ, I am forgiven. I'm a child of His. I'm just all of that. If you, then that gap, if it's truly understood, should make your motivation level, your intensity, your zest for life, your attitudes, your everything up here all the time, all the time. Because it's not based on applause, recognition, all those other things. Our effort level should be based on Christ's action on the cross 2,000 years ago. Not whether you like me or not. You know, we have to take those non-father motivators out of the equation. Or our life is just going to be a huge disappointment of unfulfilledness. If I, if I have to gain my, my validity or my validation from somebody else other than God, it, it just doesn't work. It's going to be a roller coaster and it's going to be meaningless. We must get our motivation, our effort level, our validation. Even my spouse. I looked at Kim the other day. We were having a conversation about a relationship that was part of our extended family. And, and, and we said, well, we must not get our validation from that. God is my father. He gave me a heart. My heart is indispensable in his mind. I must get my value, my validation, my importance from him. I can't base it on on this or that or this or her or him. It won't work. You must get that. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, Jesus, I... Uh, I, I know that we've brought up lots and lots of feelings um, this morning. And so I, I pray that you would hover over those. I pray that you would um, just like a, like a cloud, just hover over my life, protect it, protect my um, emotions, protect my reactions. I pray, Jesus, that you would just be shoulder to shoulder with me as I walk out this room, that you would bind Satan's lies and say, uh, Jesus, I, I renounce those lies that he's telling me right now. Lies like, you know, that, that didn't make any sense. I'm not believing that. Jesus. Man, you, 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 I need you. And if you've not asked Jesus Christ into your heart, you know, he's. You're not fooling him. You're not faking him out. He knows what your thoughts are before you think it. He knows what your words are before you say them. Just express your heart to him. Say, Jesus, I want you in my heart. I want, a, I want an after story. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not feeling like it this morning. I didn't feel like it an hour ago. I probably won't feel like it an hour from now. But Jesus, I, I claim your truth and I want you in my heart today. I don't even know the words to say, but you know that I want what I want. Jesus, come in.
And Jesus, I thank you for relationships, new children of yours that are going to walk out this morning uh, that were not when they came in. Jesus, I thank you, I praise you, I honor you, and I worship you. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Have an awesome Sunday. See ya.